Hi. I'm reading today from 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, verses 11 to 21. And I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. Um, it's Paul writing his second letter to the Corinthians, just before he goes visit them again. Um, and it's titled, We Are God's Ambassadors. Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. Are we commending ourselves to you again? No. We are giving you a reason to be proud of us so that you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. If it seems we are crazy, it's to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it's for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has begun, become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God, who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Is that working? Yes, it is. Good. Yeah. Try and get this in the pocket. I'll stick that one over there. That one. Yeah. All right. You know, it's only three weeks till Easter, which I'm sure you guys are well aware. Um, probably the major focus on the Christian calendar. Uh, People in the world celebrate it too, obviously, with the Easter Bunny and getting eggs and all that sort of stuff, but for us, um, it's not just that Jesus died, it's that he rose again for all of us, uh, and that we have new life. Um, and the passage today, we know this is after Jesus' resurrection, uh, and it has numerous key statements in it that we're going to have a look at today. Uh, but it's also that there are applications in this passage that are very pertinent about how we reflect on Easter. 
uh, and what Christ has done for each one of us. Uh, and I've titled this, as you can see, Living for Jesus. Okay. So we've just heard uh, Penny read out of the NLT. I'm actually got the NIV, so some slight differences, but very similar. Um, but some of the key statements in this passage, in verse 11, we try to persuade others. In verse 14, for Christ's love compels us, or in the NLT it was controls us. In verse 15, that those who live should no longer live for themselves. Verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. And we heard Shannon talk about that. And in verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. And we implore you on Christ's behalf. There's a couple of statements in there. So these are the passages we're going to focus on today. So we'll just go to the next slide. In verse 11, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. Um, so the since then, if you know, it's like the therefore. Whenever you see that in the Bible, you know that you've actually just got to go back a little bit to get the context. So it actually is talking partly about verse 10. And verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things that we have done while in the body, whether good or bad. Oh, that's pretty hard. <laughs> Bit of a whack there for us. But the thing for us, because of Easter and the fact that once we have put our hope and trust in Jesus, we are saved. And because of that, we know that we no longer have to worry about the eternal damnation that is due to those who don't yet know him. And that's what it is to fear the Lord. We have a, we have a fear of reverence for him. But it's also why we should be majorly concerned for those that don't yet know him. We, and that's the verse 11. We try to persuade others. It's that living out for him. And that's what we're looking at today. And because we have the knowledge and we know what the answer is to eternal life, how keen are we to do this? Are we actually concerned about that? How... How concerned are we about persuading others to know our risen Saviour? I'm just going to skip a couple of verses and go to 14. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. So we know that we were dead in our sin until we put our hope and faith and trust in him. And then the Oxford Dictionary so you see Oxford Dictionary. Uh, the meaning of compel. To force someone to do something or to make something necessary. So the verse, for Christ's love compels us. To force us to make something necessary. It's a necessary thing for us. Um, the ESV and the NLT both say controls us, for Christ's love controls us. And because Christ died for us, we know that, that his love is in us. It's compelling us to do stuff. And what is that stuff? Or what is it that we are to do? 
Well, that's captured in the next verse, which is 15. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Following on, you know, it's, it's Christ's love and it's his controlling nature in us that we aren't to live for ourselves anymore. It's not about me anymore. Once my faith and hope is in Christ, you know, it's not about me. It's actually about what I am doing with him or for him. And for me, this is the absolute key verse in this whole passage. It's not saying that you should give up everything about yourself, what you should do with your life, what your job is, what your passions are, what you do for recreation or pastimes, what you do with your family. This is not saying, it's not talking just about that. It's not saying that you must go into full-time ministry, though God may be calling you to. If you are someone who has made a decision to follow Jesus, it is saying that the focus of your life from now on should be what he wants for your life. And as we reflect on Easter, Jesus died and rose again. And I think that really helps us to understand this. That he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves. But what is it that we are to do with the rest of our lives? What is God calling us or you to do? No longer to live for yourselves or for ourselves, but for him. And the question is, is that a main focus of your life? Is that how you live your life? And if you can't answer that with a yes, that is the focus of my life, then you may need to reconsider that. And pray and ask, what is Christ, what is he wanting me to do for him? How can I choose to focus on what he is calling me to and what he wants for my life and not just what I want and I want to be in control of? Two questions I always like to ask. I do a lot of work with young adults and teenage leaders and other things and two questions I always like to ask people is what is a Christian and what is the point of a Christian? And just looking more at the second one, what is it? What is the point of a Christian? And, you know, you ask that question and lots of people will give you an answer. It's, I get to go to heaven, I get to worship God, Or is it just that, you know, I love the Lord, my God, with all my heart, soul, mind and strength and I love others as myself, as Jesus taught his disciples? Is it that I attend church every week or Bible study or youth group? Is it about building knowledge? Is it about praying to God? Is it about worshipping him? Is it about social justice issues like homelessness, domestic violence, the poor, the imprisoned, all the things that Jesus talked about? Is it about works and what I do for others? All these things are important and should be a part of our Christian lives. But the point of being a Christian is more than just that. It has to be. The Great Commission, we know, in Matthew 28 and in Acts 1.8. And if you're not sure, you know, like it talks about, you know, go and make disciples, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. If you want to have a look at what it is to be a Christian, look at the disciples and what they were like after Pentecost when they were empowered by God's Spirit. They were sold out completely for him. Not for themselves. They didn't kick back and just sit back and go, oh, we're right now. Jesus loves us and we're just going to kick back and, and enjoy the rest of our lives. They were sold out ensuring that more people knew about Christ. And it was their mission to be Christ's witnesses everywhere that they went. And it came at a massive cost. All bar John were martyred for their faith. And as I said, all these other things that we talked about, they're absolutely important about being a Christian. All these things, we should be doing all of it. And the thing is, as I said before, your life is no longer your own. And that's not a bad thing. I actually think it's a great thing because I know that I don't have to worry about what's going to happen to myself and my family in the future. Because God has it under his control. Proverbs 16.9 says, um, sorry, just having a mental blank quickly, but uh, in, his, or in their hearts, people plan their course, but the Lord determines their steps. So planning is great. We should plan to do stuff and we should be thinking about how we're going to make a difference. But do you know that usually things don't work out how we expect? but they work out the way God wants them to. And that's awesome. And we know, you know, this topic of this is not about me, not about me, it's about God in me, is massively countercultural. The world tells us every day, society is so focused on self and it's all about me and what I can do and how I can do this and how I can make a difference to the world and I'm in control of my own destiny. But it's the complete opposite to what we should be like as believers and followers of Jesus. You know, the passage that we're looking at is the second letter, as Penny said, but it's actually referred to be the fourth. There was actually two other letters that were lost, supposedly, uh, and they're referenced in First and Second Corinthians, that there were two other letters that aren't in the Bible, but maybe they just never made it. Obviously, they were sent to the Corinthian church and then someone didn't like it and probably burnt it, I'd imagine, or something along those lines. But one of the things is, this is towards the end of the, or middle towards the end of the second book. And, you know, Paul's already told them so much. And if he'd already written two other letters, and this is the fourth, why did he feel it was important to include this passage now? And I'm going to guess it was, they just hadn't quite got it yet. You know, like they just just hadn't clicked for them. But as I said earlier, for me, this is the key verse. If nothing else out of today, this is what I want you to understand. Living your life for Jesus, for the one who died for you, is from now on, from the day that you were saved, but from now on is the most important thing you can do. Verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view that we once regarded Christ in this way. So we do so no longer. No longer from a worldly point of view. And obviously the world they were living in is very different to the one we live in today. 
but just remembering how Christ's love compels us, controls us. So what does that mean, from no longer from a worldly point of view? In Colossians 3, verses 1 to 3, it says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You know, the disciples and the apostles all looked at Jesus through their worldly eyes. They expected before he, even to the point in Acts, when just before he ascends to heaven, Lord, when are you going to restore your kingdom for us? When are you going to come in and become that earthly ruler that we so long desire, like they did in the Old Testament when King David and Solomon and Saul and others reigned and, and the Jews were the powerhouse? That's what they were expecting. But now that Jesus is in heaven and they're empowered by his spirit, they are very different. They no longer look at their lives and what they are doing for the remainder of their lives from a worldly point of view. Then they're thinking about what it is that Christ is wanting them to do. And he mentions it twice in this passage. Sorry, in the Colossians passage, he said, set our hearts... On, sorry, I'll read it again. Our hearts on things above and set our minds on things above. And that's the key for us to be no longer living for ourselves. When we understand the importance of focusing on things above, that is what drives us to serve Christ wholeheartedly. And verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone and the new is here. And we heard Shannon reference that in her life. And I know that has been a big part of my life. Um, again, just looking at the therefore. So it's talking about several verses before. Christ's love compels us. We're no longer to live for ourselves. We regard no one from a worldly point of view anymore. And that is part of us being the new creation. Is that once we are saved... Different to the disciples when they were with Jesus, we are empowered through his Holy Spirit. And that is the new creation in us. It is his Spirit living in us. And Jesus talked about this when he was meeting with Nicodemus in the middle of the night when he said, you must be born again. Uh, he was talking about being born again of the Spirit. And the passage in John 3. Jesus said, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born again when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb and be born. And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of the water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. And you should not be surprised by my saying, you must be born again. As believers, we have received the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit gives birth to new life, a new creation in us. Which in turn also means that we have received spiritual gifts that enable us to serve both the local and the global or Christ's church, the body of Christ. Do you know the gifts that you've received? 
In one of his earlier letters to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks a lot about it. There's actually several chapters, but in 12 he particularly talks about the spiritual gifts and how they are to be used within the body of Christ. We're not going to look at those gifts today, but look more at, very quickly, just how or why we should use the gifts that he has given us. So I've got them listed up there. Yep. So in verse 4, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit that distributes them. And verse 12, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. But in fact, God has placed in the, sorry, the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. And in 27, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. You see, you've been given your own gifts. You are unique. Uh, And in verse 18, just as he wanted them to be in you. And that is awesome. Because you don't need to be like other people. You don't need to go, well, geez, I wish I was more like Neil or I wish I was more like Ash, you know. wish I was more like John up here singing and playing the guitar. That, that's not the point. The point is that God has created you to be the person he wants you to be so that you can use the gifts that he has given you to be a part of his body the body of Christ. And God hasn't given us these gifts so that we can just make ourselves a comfortable and easy, a healthy and a wealthy life. That's not why he has given us these gifts. And there's a real warning there. If we do not use the gifts that God has given us um, to be a part of his body, the whole body of Christ suffers. If you aren't using the gifts that have been given to you to serve the local and the global church, the whole body of Christ suffers. It's like this. And if you know the passage in 1 Corinthians 12 and also Romans 12, it talks about feet and insides and all these other bits and pieces. Everyone's like this. But if one of these is missing because you're not doing your part, everyone suffers. Everyone. And God's will can't be done if you aren't doing your part. And then into verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. And we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Why the ambassadors? How are we ambassadors? And again, it's the therefore. So in verse 18 and 19. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We're his ambassadors. What is an ambassador? I'm sure you know. An ambassador, again from the Oxford Dictionary, a representative of one country to another or a representative or the promoter of a specific you know, group or activity. As ambassadors of Christ, we are to represent and promote him. And what is that? Well, it's a relationship with God 
to being reconciled to God. And we see that as the answer in the second part of verse 20. So if we go to that next slide. We implore you, be reconciled to God. And in verse 19, he committed to us the message of reconciliation. That's part of us being his witnesses. That's part of us making disciples and going out and teaching people in his name. That is the message of reconciliation. For the not yet believer, it's for us to assist them, to persuade them and leading them to put their trust in Jesus. For the believer, it's to encourage and to build up. And maybe for those who have walked away or are just going through the motions, it's us getting alongside and encouraging them, bringing them back, like the prodigal son, uh, and being, helping them to be reconciled to God, to get our focus back on him and what he wants for our lives, letting him be the lead of our lives. You know, in verse 18 and 19, that also goes back to verse 11, where we try to persuade others to be reconciled. And that's the important, you know, the passage as Penny read it was that we are God's, we are Christ's ambassadors. That is key. And if you read in there in verse 20, as though God were making his appeal through us. How are we going with that? God making his appeal through us for others to be reconciled to him. It's pretty challenging, isn't it? And if this feels like a burden, it's not meant to be. Because once our focus is aligned with what God wants for us, for our lives, this just becomes natural. And it becomes a part of who we are. And remember... It's God who is doing the work through us. It's not up to us. In all that we've looked at so far today, and I want you to take note of this, you cannot do this in your own strength. And Neil partly talked about that when he talked about worship. This isn't about us and what we bring to the table. It's about what God is doing through us. But as a new creation... You don't have to do these things in your own strength anymore. You know, Paul got this. He understood this. And in his letter to the Galatians, a very well-known passage in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, but as I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. It's his Holy Spirit that lives... Sorry, it's his... Yeah. As his Holy Spirit lives in you to give you the power and strength to do his will. You know the parable of the sower, the parable of the soils, the parable of the seed that has different names. But it talks about four different soils. And the last two I reckon is where most Christians sit. There's the third soil, which is us. The seed falls but we're unproductive, we're unfruitful because we're consumed with the things of the world, we're consumed with wealth, we're consumed with our families, we're consumed with doing stuff, we're consumed with doing everything. And the fourth soil is when the seed lands in the fertile soil. And for us, when our will is aligned with what God wants for us and we are doing what he is calling us to, we become that fourth soil. And we produce a crop 30, 60 or 100 times. That's not us. 
It's God in us. So I loved uh, Shannon sharing her testimony before and how as a new creation, God has transformed her life. Amen. And you know, you might remember about 18 months ago when I was here and I last spoke, I actually shared a bit about my own testimony and how God did an amazing work in my life. And so for me, that was just over 17 years ago when I gave my life to him. And like Shannon, my life has never been the same from that very moment that I said yes to Jesus. So I'm just going to quickly recap a couple of those things and how it really works in with what we've been looking at today. For some weeks leading up to my um, decision to put my trust in Jesus, I tried to change myself because I thought, I'm not a good person and I'm not good enough to be a Christian because Christians are perfect, right? That's what I thought. And I thought Christians were these good people who could do everything great, not swear, you know, not look at women, not, um, yeah, do all this stuff. They're, they're perfect. They don't do anything wrong. And I knew in my heart that I was absolutely a sinner. But I got to the point where I actually was really disgruntled and thought, oh, I'm not good enough. So I more or less, I pretty much in my head, I gave up. Um, but yeah, through, through hearing a couple of people speak and share, the penny actually dropped for me and God had been working in my heart and my mind. Uh, and he basically, it got to the point where it just went, oh, I can't do this on my own. Actually, it's him who will actually bring about this change in my life. Um, and as, yeah, so I just did, and that was, this, I think I shared it last time. It was approximately 11.15am on the 9th of November 2003, and I was sitting about six seats back and about five seats in, um, when I just said, God, I'm stuffed, you need to fix me. And I can tell you, for in that very moment, doesn't happen like this for a lot of people, in that very moment, I was different. I was empowered by his spirit right from that point on. So much so that that night I went to my work I called in my 35 work colleagues in a big circle. We didn't hold hands and sing songs, but we just stood in a big circle. And I just said, hey, guys, I want you all to know that this morning at church I gave my life to Jesus and I'm never going to be the same. And it was dead silence. And I said, I oh, know that's really weird, but it's okay. You can come and talk to me about it later. I just didn't care. Would I do that now? Probably not. But <laughs> at that point, I just didn't care. But I will tell you, those people saw a massive change in my life right from that point on. My wife, who wasn't at that same point, she saw a massive change in my life. And that first two weeks after me becoming a believer and her not was probably two of the toughest weeks of our marriage because I was then empowered by Christ. I had no wisdom or discernment, so I was just bashing her over the head with the Bible, telling her to try and get it. You know, like. But she saw a massive change in my life. So much so that some months later, when she put her faith and trust in Christ, and she shared when she was baptised that she'd never doubted God's existence, but it was what she saw him do in me that made her believe. And yeah, there was lots of... I basically had no Christian friends, you can imagine. I, I was football, cricket, you know, go to the pub, didn't have any Christian friends. Well, a lot of those have waned over the years, but in that initial stages, they just went, who the flipping heck is this freak that we're friends with you know like and lots of great conversations and I still do with a number of my friends have lots of great conversations and over the last 17 years many things have changed in my life 
Luckily, I think I have a little bit more discernment than I had with my wife in those initial days and weeks. Um, but I've also been intentional about having people mentor and equip me for God's service. But I think I knew right at that time, before I said yes to Jesus, I knew that that moment that I said yes to him, because I'd grown up going to church, I'd walked away as a 16-year-old like it happens a lot. But I think I knew that when I said yes, I was in. And I was either in or I was out. Does that make sense? But I knew that when I was in, I'd put on my concrete boots, I jumped off the bridge and I was in 100%. And I'm not perfect by any means. I'm a sinner like everyone else. And, you know, every week I have to repent and say sorry to God for the things that I've done. And I pray regularly that, that God will continue to help me to be living my life for him. That my f- soil is fertile. And that he is doing that work through me. So in wrapping up, how are we living for Jesus? And remember, because Christ's love compels us, it controls us. We are not to live our lives for ourselves anymore. Is our focus on what God wants for our life? Is it? Is it a priority? It should be. And as a new creation, how are you using the gifts that you've been given to serve the local and global church, to grow his kingdom, to make disciples and be witnesses. It's not just about you growing your easy, comfortable life. And as an ambassador for Christ, how are we helping others to be reconciled to him? Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word and all that's contained in it. We thank you for the promises. We thank you that we, as we reflect on Easter coming up that you sent your son to be that lamb who would die, but he was raised again and he ascended to heaven so that your Holy Spirit could return and live in us to have you and your power living in us so that we can do your work here on earth. I pray, Father, today that there might be some who have been challenged by this and they would look and pray and seek and ask you how they can live out the rest of their lives in service to you, the one who gave up your life for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.